Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our past may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to another interview episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. If you enjoy this conversation and find value in the wisdom shared today, the absolute best way that you can always support is by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, sharing on social media, or the people that you love most. It would mean the world to me for others to have access to this powerful content. So thank you for being here and being part of this movement. Also, make sure to stay till the end as I'm going to offer you some applicable takeaways this week based on our conversation to further support you. And so throughout my career, I've talked to so many clients who have visited their doctors desperate for support and encouragement, but left feeling helpless, uninspired, and unsupported. And I also felt this for many years. I would leave a doctor's office feeling misunderstood and not motivated to stay consistent with what I knew to be healthy. Healthy habits, including eating well, moving my body, decreasing stress, and cultivating positive relationships. And so if you've ever felt this way, then this podcast and this conversation is for you. This week, I'm sitting down with Dr. Katrina Ubel, a pediatrician and weight loss expert who has a unique perspective on both the medical industry and the wellness industry. After completing her pediatric residency in Wisconsin, Dr. Katrina spent 10 years at a private practice. And during this time, she lost 45 pounds in 12 months without surgery, pills, unhealthy crash diets, or fitness apps. And so now she spends her time helping other doctors achieve sustainable weight loss goals, plus create a healthier relationship to themselves. So today, we're going to unpack the details of the medical system, why most doctors aren't as healthy today as they used to be, and why finding the right doctor in alignment with your deepest truth is so crucial for your long-term health. Further, we're going to dive into an honest conversation about achieving a healthy weight, common misconceptions about weight loss, and mindset shifts to upgrade your well-being. Real change can begin today when you have the right support and the tools that you need to create that lasting, sustainable change, which is possible. Welcome, Katrina, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to dive into this powerful conversation about all things medical community, all of the aspects of finding health while working as a doctor and choosing a doctor that also reflects the health and the vitality and the energy and the life that you want to also create. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I'm excited to dive into your story, which I was going through for many, many hours because I was like, this is incredible that you teach doctors actually how to be healthier, which is, there's a little an irony in that, right? Totally. <laughs> because I remember growing up and going to the doctor's office and just feeling discouraged when I would go in and I would be like, wow, I don't feel in alignment with number one, what you're prescribing me and number two, how you're living your life or how you're currently 
operated from a, like a, from a mentorship perspective, even just looking at your diet soda on, on your desk or like, or the fact that you're recommending certain things that aren't lifestyle choices or habit choices or food choices or movement choices, but really out of alignment with what I knew to be functional medicine or the integrative side. And so I say that with a lot of compassion and love because I also have great deep respect for the medical community. And there's been many circumstances that I was so grateful to be in the ER and so grateful to have access to medicine. But I wanted to dive into your story and how you got into this work of helping doctors become healthier and lose weight and finally step into just a reflection of what they should be teaching people, which is to live a happier, healthier life. And so I'm curious, yeah, how you got into this. I know you lost quite a bit of weight, but for the listeners, I won't want to hear all of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, you're hundred percent right. Like the main reason is because we are not taught this in medical school. It's very much a problem-based approach and you solve it mostly with things like medications and different medical treatments, which are great, as you said, right? We all mm -hmm. love them. Antibiotics, when needed, are a good thing. Like yep. there are good things that we like to have. But when we talk about like, oh, lifestyle changes, or we're taught that in our schooling, what they teach us is like, you know, more exercise or eating more healthy. But when they teach us about nutrition, I mean, what I remember, I mean, it's been now a number of years, but I'm recalling about a half of a day discussion in four years time of, of training <laughs> where what they really focused on were really, really super rare vitamin deficiencies, like things that you will probably not see anywhere in like a first world country at all. So we had to memorize all those things, but there was not really anything centered on or focused around really living a true healthy lifestyle and what that would even look like or mean. And so to your point, yes, there are so many doctors who don't know. I'm always so surprised when doctors are telling me how their kids are eating all the sugar cereal and like all the, I'm like, really? Cause I'm a pediatrician. <laughs> so I'm like, really? Oh, okay. So anyway, my story is I've struggled with my weight really on and off for most of my life, but it really became more of an issue once I was in high school a little bit and then into college where I was for sure emotionally eating, but did not know that that's what that was. In fact, I would have argued tooth and nail that I didn't emotionally eat because in my mind, someone who emotionally ate was like sobbing in the corner with a bag of chips. And I was like, no, I totally am not that person. Like I'm, you know, very high achieving and high functioning and I get things done. And I just thought I liked food. Like, honestly, I just didn't, I didn't see any other aspect to it. And so I, you know, ate my way through medical school and I'm a lifetime Weight Watchers member. So I've gained and lost many, many times. I kind of had my upper limit number and size pants. And when those were getting really snug, it was like time to go back to Weight Watchers and lose another 30, 40 pounds. But I never planned on counting points the rest of my life. And so I didn't know any other way to maintain I never felt like I was actually nourished eating that way. It was like very, you know, just manufactured. And I remember being so hungry. And back in the days when Weight Watchers came out with like their dessert food, which I don't even know what they have now, but they used to have these like little cakes that were only like one point. And I remember trying to game the system and trying to have extra points left over so I could still have like my fake dessert kind of thing. Like I was not dealing with the problem, the underlying issue, obviously. And so then I went through my residency, same thing, and then was out in practice thinking like, oh, you know what? I just need to be out of all my training, all these intense hours and everything, and then it's going to get better. I just kept thinking like I need to accomplish the next thing, then I'll figure it out. And then I had some babies in there and weighed up and down just with all of that. 
But what I found when I was in practice too, was that it really wasn't any different. In fact, in some ways it was harder because especially at that time, the drug reps would bring in different treats for us and we'd have drug rep sponsored lunches. And so here I'd have my lunch I brought that was healthy and, you know, on plan for me, but it's really hard to sit and eat that when everybody else is eating whatever, (laughs) you know, junk that they just brought in or, you know, sometimes I could convince myself this isn't really that bad. And, and so I'd be like, oh no, this is actually saving me time because I'll just save my lunch for today for tomorrow. Now I don't need to pack (laughs) one for tonight and I'll just eat this. (laughs) So in my practice, I still struggled. And in some ways, I think I struggled more because I felt like it shouldn't be the way it was. Like I should be happier. I should enjoy this more. I had a great practice. I loved my patients. They were amazing, but I was there for over 10 years and I just struggled. It was hard for me. And I didn't at that time have any awareness around the fact that so much of what was hard for me was the way that I was thinking about it. Like I really thought that it was just the truth about the people that I worked with or the different scenarios that came up that were challenging for me, I thought they were the problem. You know, I was the righteous one. Like I was the victim in the situation. And so I just kept spitting in that cycle, not knowing. So then what ended up actually happening is totally outside of my weight issues. I ended up having kind of a, an issue with some family members that I knew I needed some help with. I didn't really know what to do. I didn't think I needed a therapist. I'd seen a therapist actually for these same people a few years prior and it had been helpful, but it just didn't seem like the right fit. And a former, a woman who used to teach me Pilates years prior, who had moved away, had mentioned years before that, I think I want to become a life coach, which I didn't even really know what that meant. But I thought, you know what, I should reach out to her and see if she ever did that because maybe what I need is a life coach because I just need some like life guidance. I don't really need like a therapist. And it turns out she had just finished her training. So it was like, thanks universe, like bringing us together like that. So we did two calls and she taught me just some basic life coaching tools that completely changed my life, like blew my head right open. I mean, I was just like, I can't believe I've lived my whole life and no one ever told me this. Like what? I had no idea why I didn't sign on with her for more sessions. I don't know. I think I kind of felt like she was busy. She was living far away and had a bunch of little kids. And I just didn't think about maybe finding a different life coach to work with. I thought, you know, I need to learn more about this. Like my adolescent patients should be knowing this stuff. Like how can we be raised not knowing that our thoughts create our feelings? Like what? Like I did not know that. And so I thought, you know, maybe I'll do this. But when I looked into it, it was my youngest was about one. And it was just, it was a lot at that point. I thought, you know what? Maybe not now. We were in a big house renovation, maybe in a couple of years, put on the Sunday list. And then I started finding out more about how you could use those same tools to lose weight. And I'd had my last baby, I had lost that baby weight and I had like really honest to goodness, like pinky swore with myself. I wasn't going to gain it back this time. Like I meant it this time. And then I promptly gained it back again. And I was like, shoot, (laughs) like, okay, this really, like really now, this is a real pivotal moment. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, I have two choices. I can try something I haven't tried before because I clearly keep trying the same thing. And while I can lose the weight, it's not a lasting solution, or maybe I just need to accept the fact that most people end up gaining some weight as they age. And maybe I could just be okay with that. And I'm glad I gave myself that option because it is a real legitimate option. It's okay if that's what you want to do. I just felt like I hadn't really fully tried everything yet. So I tried a nutritionist and you know, I tried a few different things and always came back to like, they don't understand what my life is like. Like the nutritionist, I remember her saying to me, well, in the middle of the afternoon, I want you to stop and eat a snack. And so she wanted me to eat like some raw veggies and some hummus or like something like that. But what she 
really did not have a grasp on was what my afternoon in clinic was like and how there was no possible way I was going to make, you know, a toddler who's already late for a nap and like crying in the room and, you know, tearing the room apart. And that mom's about to tear her hair out waiting for me to go eat my snack. Like there's no way I was going to do that. And you know, everybody complains when doctors are late. Like, I mean, it just wasn't going to work. So, I mean, could I have? Yes. But I felt like that was out of integrity for me. It was not respectful to my patients. And so I just kept bumping up against these obstacles. Like I kept thinking like, it doesn't need, it shouldn't have to be this hard. Does it really have to be this hard? Like, I just feel like this is just so much effort and I'm not getting anywhere. But she, this nutritionist was the one who actually recommended that I buy a Janine Roth book. She's like, just anyone that speaks to you, pick one and read it. And so the one that I read, I read it and I was like, oh, okay, still thinking I'm not an emotional eater. And of course, Janine Roth has written tons and tons about emotional eating. But it was like one day, you know, those shower like epiphanies, I had a shower epiphany where all of a sudden my brain put it together in the shower. No, you know what? I think emotional eating might be eating so you don't have to feel your emotions. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because you are excessively emotional. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, yeah, for sure I do that then. Yes. Oh, <laughs> then, wow. Yes, I am an emotional eater. Okay. So that was like a big move forward for me in opening up my eyes of like, yes, that's why focusing on the food mm-hmm. and different plans and stuff, like it's just not working for me and it's nothing that's long term for me. So then I started thinking, well, maybe this life coaching work can really help me because like, I don't know what's happening here. And the other thing with doctors is that so much of our training revolves around what I always say, like decapitating ourselves, like basically living up in our heads. Mm. So first of all, there's of course the cognitive mental brain power that we have to access all the time to make all the decisions and everything. But also you have to deny whatever messages your body is sending you, meaning you have to pee and it's not a good time, too bad. You know, you are hungry, doesn't not relevant. You're not hungry, but it's time to eat, just eat anyway. You're exhausted, who cares? You can't sleep right now and you're not going to be able to for many, many hours. Mm. Like just whatever the body is telling you, you just learn to tune it out completely and use your brain to decide what you should be doing. And so I don't know that I was ever like super in tune with my body, but that whole training solidified the process. Like I just was completely out of touch. I overate massively all the time, which I'd learned at Weight Watchers with like vegetables being free. I was so afraid of being hungry later that I would eat these massive salads and be so excessively full thinking like that's what I need to do. So I had so much recalibration to do and learning how to just listen to my body what were the actual messages? What was my body trying to tell me? (laughs) Just getting back in touch with that. It was just, I mean, so monumental. I remember I lost my first 10 pounds with this, just paying attention to when I was hungry, eating when I was hungry and not eating if I wasn't hungry. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was all it took. I was like, this is amazing. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Turns out my body knew this the whole time. I had no idea. So, so I ended up losing 55 pounds. I got to a weight that I never thought was possible for me as an adult. It was like what I weighed in ninth grade. I was like, are you kidding me right now? And I was on swim team. I mean, I wasn't like a, you know, totally heavy kid. And so I thought, you know what? I think I need to share this with other people. Like, I don't think I can keep this to myself. I know so many other women doctors are struggling the same way I was. I really, honest to goodness, had had no interest in owning a business ever in my life. But I thought, well, I mean, I guess I could try it. There's probably some people who want this. And at the same time, I was going through kind of a transition in me wanting to stay in practice anyway. I was kind of like wanting to take a break and just reevaluate everything. I was approaching 40. And I think 
those milestone birthdays do something to you where you just start like reevaluating everything. Mm -hmm. Like, why am I doing everything that I'm doing and do I want to keep doing it? So I ended up leaving my practice, becoming a coach and losing all this weight kind of all right around the same time. And so now I help women physicians who are in clinical practice to lose weight, but to lose it permanently. And we do that by, you know, like, do we talk a little bit about food? Of course we do. But what we really focus on is our brain. And they always are like, I know you always say it's not about the food and I didn't believe you, but now I get it. It really isn't about the food. I'm like, I promise you it's not. And it's just been such a like surprising love of my life, like having this business and being able to help so many women who struggle just like I did. And then also change their whole lives because so many of them are burned out. They are exhausted. They don't really like being in medicine anymore. I mean, I've had some clients who literally were like, I was honest to goodness searching online for get rich quick schemes. Like I was thinking about defaulting on my medical school loans. Mm-hmm. That's how bad I wanted out. And we're talking, you know, average medical school loans are like in the 200,000, right? We're talking like serious, serious stuff here. Like they wanted out so bad. And by having this work, and coaching and learning how to manage their own minds, they are honestly back in love with medicine again, which benefits all of us because I don't know about you, but I do not want to be taken care of by a doctor who doesn't want to be there. Right. Right. Or who is stressed and doesn't have the cognitive health or the clarity and has brain fog and has been up all night stressed about having to even come in the next day. And you know, you can feel it and you can sense it. And when you're in the office and that's the discouragement I was getting when I was going into college and just very, very sick during my teens and college years, it's just, I didn't feel that level of connection and presence and the ability to be there fully and and really just even have compassion or resonate with what I was going through. And now working with integrative and functional medicine doctors and having one that I see every couple of weeks, every month on for, with the telemedicine, it's so incredible because I'm like so inspired by her and I'm so excited to go to the sessions. Who could say that they're like excited to see the doctor? Right, but when right. they're in alignment with their health, it's true. You're there because you're like, okay, well, these are the issues I'm having, but you're also motivated and there's a different level of momentous, like the momentum energy that keeps you going because you're like, my doctor sees me and wants me to get better and they know what it's like. And they're looking at for the root cause, which is very different than just the banding approach and saying, okay, well, we're just going to give you this medicine versus this might actually be about your emotions and this might be about Mm -hmm. what's happening inside your mind. Well, and you know, to be honest with you, I had a lot of conflict as a pediatrician. So as I was in practice, I actually converted myself and my entire family to being vegan. And that So, okay, (laughs) let's just say, so my children were not having any cow milk, Mm -hmm. like is what's recommended. I had two vegan pregnancies. People would ask me, what do you give your baby? I'm like, not cow milk, that's for sure. But I really still had to make those recommendations because they're considered standard of care. Mm. And so I often felt so conflicted. Like I'm sure my energy came through because there would be people, like I would tell them to do it, but probably not with a lot of like, Enthusiasm. A lot of positive yeah. Energy, yeah, enthusiasm behind it. And, and there were a few who would pick up on it and they'd be like, is that what you do with your kids? And I'm like, no, it's so glad you asked, you know, <laughs> you know, telling, and I have always had an interest in nutrition probably because, you know, so much of my focus was always on food. And of course being vegan mm-hmm. and where I live in Wisconsin, where it's like, you know, Dairyland USA. So I didn't feel like anybody really around me was skilled or confident in helping me to make sure that my children were nourished properly. So I really took that upon myself to do all the research, do all the reading, make sure they were getting all the things that they needed to 
grow up healthy and all of that. And, you know, I would have loved to talk about that all the time, but then Mm -hmm. there's all these other things you're supposed to talk about and you've got a limited time span. And there's so many pressures to that, that I think the integrative medicine slash functional medicine realm, like what they give you is time. Mm -hmm. I see an integrative doctor too. And I feel like there's always time. I ask all of my questions. We have like a full in-depth discussion. We're discussing everything and that's baked into the visit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And your typical regular old appointment, it's just not, it's not set up for that. But in some ways in, you know, the kind of allopathic realms defense, especially in the United States, the way that we are reimbursed, right? it's really hard. And I don't know about you, but I pay out of pocket to see my mm-hmm. integrative doctor yep. and it is not inexpensive. And so it's, it is definitely a luxury, it's right? A luxury. It's definitely a privilege to be able to to, you know, have the money to even be able to do that. So many people could benefit from that. And it's just not in the cards for them. So, and I'm just sure now I would, I would struggle even more because I'd be like, listen, this is not a problem that you needed a doctor for. Like what we need to talk about is <laughs> <laughs> your emotions yeah. and how to feel them and things like that. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. I think as these different practices open up, we will get the price for and to see functional and integrative doctors. Hopefully that will go down, but it's still absolutely a privilege. And I always share from that perspective, like, you know, it's sad. And what's interesting to me is like, you would think because this model works and you're getting to the root cause and you're actually healing and you're not jumping from diet to diet, to detox, to detox, you know, to coach, to coach, looking for the answer anymore, you would think that there would be more of a a push for it by insurance companies and the model in which we live, but it's, it's not there yet, but I'm so hopeful. complicated. Yeah. It's so complicated. Hopefully someday. Yeah. Just to your point, I was put on an acid reflux medication when I was in medical school. I was 23 years old. And at that time, just for a cough, like I'd never had a heartburn in my life. And so they put me on it. And back in those days, they really thought like, okay, then you're just going to take this forever. And being a medical student, like busy, whatever, I was like, okay, like just didn't even think anything of it. Well, here I am 21 years later, still on this medication Mm -hmm. and because I couldn't get off of it. And so it's only been the integrative doctor who's actually helped me to get off of it. So I should be off of it if all goes well, which I plan for it to all go well in about two and a half weeks. I should be off of it completely. I've tried. I worked with the GI doctor, like it just, it didn't work. Like he just didn't have like the finesse or maybe even mm-hmm. the time to think about it. I think he was, his intentions were good. He really yep. wanted to help me get off, but just, that's just not... There's no data on how to get off medication because the drug companies don't want you to get off their medication. Right. 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 And so it's a, it's always really interesting whenever, you know, of course I work with doctors and I have plenty of doctors in the UK and Canada that I work with. And they're always like, wait, now come again. How does it work there? I'm like, yes, I know. It's so crazy. <laughs> it is. It's wild. I, I'm just like having flashbacks to even just my birth control and just so many things that I'm seeing the repercussions now for, right? Like going through this infertility journey and just witnessing like, wow, I made that decision to have a copper IUD in for 10 years and like never even have it checked. And I had, and I, you know, and then I put another one in and like, it like these things that we do without ever thinking, okay, well, maybe I should just do some research. Maybe I should look at the forums and hear about other women's stories. Maybe I should dive deeper into how this is actually going to impact my body. And then on top of that birth control, like how has that impacted what's currently happening? And now having the hard conversations, I look back and I'm like, if I can just be the voice of just research, like doing the research and just diving a little bit deeper and having 
second, third, fourth opinions if possible. I mean, 100%. You know, I went through the infertility stuff as well. I was able to get pregnant naturally with my first child, but it took us 18 months because of course I was getting off birth control. And now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I don't think I ovulated for nine months. And then it took another nine months. So I was like really thinking there was a problem. And then I couldn't get pregnant again after that and did all the testing and everything. And they were just like, it's just the unexplained infertility, which is kills me inside. I'm mm. like, there has to be a reason. Like, what's mm-hmm. the reason? But I just want to point out that I'd started off with one infertility program. And I mean, I should have just switched right from the beginning, like talking about like learning to listen to your gut mm. instinct and just when it's rubbing you the wrong way. Like, you know, I remember what so we were doing Clomid and inseminations and I was due to have the insemination on New Year's Day and I called to tell them that. And the nurse was so flippant with me. She's like, well, just try on your own. I'm like, okay, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but like, there's just no compassion mm-hmm. for me that it was mm-hmm. another last month that like, it actually would have worked out great for me because I wasn't working that day you know, like, to yeah. be able to go in, you know? And when they finally were like, well, there's nothing else we can do for you. The next thing is in vitro. I was like, let me go talk to somebody else. And I ended up talking to, you know, going to a different program and just absolutely fell in love with my doctor. He was just so the opposite of the prior experience that we had had. And it was just so much of a better experience. The nurses couldn't even believe when I told them some of the things that had happened at the other place, they're like, what? I can't believe that. And also they were open every single day of the year. They're like, it's not your fault. It's New Year's Day. I'm like, right. Thank you. But I often think that too, like, I mean, it could have been any number of things that could have caused that. I just honestly, I don't even know. And now what I'm learning even more recently about, you know, how emotions create chronic pain and like all these other, like just truly how powerful our emotions are and how adept I was at stuffing them and not feeling Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm not saying this like in a blame kind of a way, but I wouldn't be surprised if had I really worked on that maybe that would have helped. Like it's unexplained because you haven't looked at maybe all the options. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, to a certain extent, I didn't feel like I necessarily had the time to spare Mm -hmm. because I wasn't super spring chicken anymore, but I don't even know. At the time, I probably wouldn't have even been open to it. At that time, I didn't even know my thoughts created my emotions. So, you know, (laughs) I would have been like, what? That's weird. But now I'm like, hmm, I would definitely, definitely think that through a little differently. And we were just, we were super lucky that in vitro worked for us. And yeah. Um, so we had a really positive experience with it, but not everybody does. And it's mm-hmm. just a hard road. So I feel you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's so important if for any of the listeners who haven't really recognized yet that your emotions are really creating so much specifically in your body, right? The chronic pain, insomnia, anxiousness, depression, like so much of what's happening starts with the thought and then moves into the emotion. And then we integrate in our body and I think so often we feel bad about it, right? Like there's this part of us that just feels bad that we, well, I have to keep going kind of like the decapitated head, like you were talking about. And I don't think this is just for doctors. I think this is women in the corporate world. I think this is for mothers who are on the go. I think that this is for so many women in America where it's just this super women mentality that is just like push, push, push. Like I can't feel because if I feel, then I stop. And if I stop, then like I'm a failure. And if you do start to slow down, then you feel like the failure. So it's like the cyclical pattern that just doesn't go away. And I'm curious how you help people kind of move through that because 
we have to go into the heart space. We have to feel what it is that's showing up if we want to create any change. Yeah. But that takes courage. To, it takes some, like your some buy-in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, whenever I have a client who kind of doesn't really do that part, I'm like, mm-hmm. I get it. I mean, mm-hmm. I know if she did it, it would help her more, but right. I really get the resistance to doing it. A lot of people are so afraid of what they're going to find. They're like so convinced also that they're really broken deep down, that there's mm-hmm. something really wrong with them. And so if they start looking, they're worried what they're going to find. Here's what I see a lot. I see a lot of women believing that deep down there's like this kind of black rotten core somewhere in them. And if they could just find that and they could fix it, then they'll be okay, right? Then they'll be good enough. Then they'll be valuable. Then they'll be worthy. And what I help them to understand is the thought you have that there's a black rotten core to you is the problem. It's just a thought. It's not the truth. It's not anything that needs fixing. It's the awareness that you have a thought that is your problem. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then that keeps you like hiding in shame, not wanting to, you know, not thinking that you deserve anything good in your life, self-sabotage, all the things, right? Proving, right? Because then what we do is all the things we don't want to do to prove that there's something really wrong with us. Right. Our brains are so powerful. Even though we don't want to do that, that is the result that we'll create. Mm-hmm. And so I think for the woman who's really on the go, I think it really is, it's a personal journey. I mean, I always think of myself like I'm a guide, but I can't drag anybody along. Like I can only help people who are like, you know what, I'm, I'm ready. And even if they're like, I'm scared to death, you know, they're like, I get that this is the thing and mm-hmm. I really have to do this. So like, for instance, I have a client who had had two this was like 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, she'd had two miscarriages. Both babies had had genetic abnormalities and she had, this was after having one normal child and she had been recommended, it had been recommended to her to go to like a a specialty institution and get testing and like do in vitro and stuff like that, have another baby. And they just like kind of never got around to doing it. Well, so this all came up during COVID because her child is an only child and was doing a lot of complaining about the fact that she's an only child. And why didn't you have another baby? So she had never properly grieved Mm. those losses at all and had never really thought through this kind of decision, not decision, right? It was kind of like the indecision that just created the decision of not ever following up and having more kids. It was super painful for her. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, just stay with me, but you have to feel that pain. Like you have to write about what happened. You have to write letters to these babies. You have to write letters to the babies that you thought you should have had and never got around to having because now she's at an age where she feels like, you know, that's not the right step for them. And it was hard. It was really hard for her. She's like, I have done more crying in the last couple of weeks. I'm like, I get it. I totally hear with you, but this is what you need. You have to let this come up. You can't keep stuffing it. And of course, what she did is she ate, right? To continue stuffing it and just try to ignore it. And like, maybe it'll go away. Of course, didn't. But towards the end of that process, she's like, oh my gosh, like this like, I feel so much better about this. Like every time it came up for me before, I just try to put it out of my mind. Like, I just don't think about that. But now she can think about it and be with herself. She doesn't have to abandon herself by like running away from that storyline that she had for herself. She really Mm -hmm. can be with herself. So I just, I don't try to sugarcoat it. I don't try to tell people this is easy work because I think if you know, like, okay, I'm like in it here. I think if people tell you it's easy and it's feeling really hard, then you think something's wrong with you and you're doing it wrong. Whereas if you're like, you know, 
sometimes it's really hard for people. I'm doing it right. If it's hard, I'm doing it right. Then okay, then I can be with those emotions and allow myself to process it and just open up to the idea that this is the human experience. We were never supposed to feel positive all of the time. Hey there, are you loving this podcast? Well, a simple way to support is to head over to sarahannstewart.com and join the newsletter. Doing this ensures that you are never going to miss out on any details of new projects, products, upcoming events, or behind the scenes stuff that I only share with my inner circle. Also by joining, you're going to get access to the movement, which means you are part of a free community of individuals standing in their power to live a diet-free life in a body that they love. So head on over to sarahannstewart.com and subscribe, and I'll see you on the inside. What makes me cringe is like, the, the like you will be happy with the seven minute like ab workout seven days a week and you're going to have the, you know, yeah. your eight pack abs and it's a hard sell, right? Like I do very similar work where the women that come to me have been through years of dieting, have been yo-yo dieting most of their life and are ready for change. And they usually ask me, what is the nutrition plan or the movement plan you're going to give me? And I'm like, I'm not going to give you one. I'm going to absolutely like support you in helping you co-create that. But the work that I'm doing here is really about the subconscious reprogramming. And it's about looking within and saying, what have I been avoiding most of my life that has been a reflection of all of the diet choices and all of the ways that I've been seeking self-love, self-worth, self-esteem outside of who I actually am inside, like you said. And what I love that you shared is, and I think it's so important for listeners to hear is that your mind isn't always right. Like there's often times that your mind is lying to you. It's not accurate. And so when you're going down the the rabbit hole of, like you said, the black hole of saying, well, I'm not worthy. I'm not ever going to have that confidence. I'm never going to be able to cultivate that love. That is your mind telling you something that isn't actually accurate. It's it's very much a lie that has been projected upon you. And it's your job to see what's in between the thoughts, which is that you're this incredible human magical being that exists well beyond what our minds are trying to tell us. I like to talk about it like becoming like the observer or the watcher of the mind, right? Like you Mm -hmm. have to learn to separate you from what your brain offers you. Like I often think of like what our brains are doing is like, you know, when they're doing the lottery and they have, what is it like maybe 55 or 60 of those little white balls, like all blowing around in this bigger ball. And then they hit a button and then like a ball gets sucked up and they're like 33, you know, like, okay, 33. (laughs) I always think of like those little balls as like our thoughts in our brain, only there's way more of them in there. Right. And there's like all these random thoughts, like different neurons that just connected. And you're like, you know, hit this one and you're like, you are the worst person in the world. You're like, really? This is, this is what you're offering me today. Do you have to recognize with that yeah. watcher part of your brain that really is you? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, my brain is telling me that I'm the worst person in the world. I wonder why it's offering me that mm-hmm. rather than just thinking that that's truth. Right. There's all right. kinds of random garbage that's floating around in your head. So 100%. we have to cultivate the ability to understand like this one mm-hmm. serves me. This one is useful. Well, sometimes this one may may be true. It's not a good one to think because this is the result I get when I think this right. thought. So right. I'm going to choose this one that also feels true, but gives me a different result, a result that I want. Mm. Like that's learning how to manage your mind. Right. And then I also think it's it's like when it comes in saying, okay, well, this is the thought. And if I attach to it, then I'm going to have cognitive bias and I'm going to literally my entire world will be a reflection of that thought. Or if I let it go, then I won't be searching and scanning the world for that thought because it's like, it's what we take on and believe in is what we search for. 
And yeah. so there's a lot of science and research behind that. It's like, if you're scanning for the color blue, you're going to see it a lot faster than if you're scanning for a different color. So it's about also saying, okay, well, I'm letting that thought go and I'm actually going to attach to this and I'm going to find proof of that in my mm-hmm. external yeah. world because we can find proof of anything. Yeah. You want to ask your brain to show you what you want to see, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that. Yes. And, and it will do that. Like your brains love completing a loop, like give it a task and it will do it. The mm-hmm. problem is that what is the automatic programming for most of us is show me all the crappy things in my life. Show me all the ways things aren't working out. Mm -hmm. And we don't recognize that we have total control over that. So like for, especially for my doctors, like now in, you know, with COVID and everything, you know, some of them are really like, you know what I decided? Like, this is just, especially ones like working in the ICU or the ER or places like that. They're like, this is just business as usual. Like I have patients to see. I'm always just focusing on the person who's in front of me and how I can help them. I'm not worrying about the, you know, however many, you know, dozens are still waiting for me or what's happening there. I am just focusing on the person in front of me, staying really present in that. And then others have struggled more. We're like, Mm. it shouldn't be this way. This isn't what I thought it would be. When I signed up for this, I didn't think it would be like this, like all that resistance that makes their experience of it. So, I mean, they're doing the same thing, right? Right. They're still seeing patients. They're still taking care of people, but their experience of it is so right. different because of the way they're choosing to think. And I think one of the most powerful things that you can just learn as a human being is that you actually have control over what you think. Like you really do get to choose. Right. And what are the tools that you're helping and cultivating within them so that when they're in those states where let's say they go into the emergency room and they start to go down the rabbit hole, what and how do you help them move out of that habitual thinking? Because I actually think it's habit, right? It's it's like the same oh, yeah. thought over and over. It's looping. So we actually have to program a new neural pathway, create a new looping pattern. I'm just curious, you know, I do meditation and forgiveness. There's a lot of the things mm-hmm. that you've been talking about. And I'm curious what your kind of like tools are that you recommend and use with your clients even just a few of them. So people yeah. kind of get an understanding that it's probably very different than like, follow this nutrition protocol. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and I know the same thing as you. They're like, what should I eat? I'm like, I'm going to, here are some suggestions <laughs> that I have like a very general framework. Mm-hmm. You go take that and create something that works for you in your life mm-hmm. and then come back and we'll discuss. But I always tell them, I'm like, no, but the plan you make is the one that you can follow the rest of your life because right. you right. made it. I don't know what you should eat, but I think you do if you mm-hmm. actually pay attention and right. listen to your body. Right yourself. But as far as what I do to help them, I think awareness is, I mean, totally massively underrated. You yeah. have to know what you're thinking first and that it's a thought, right? Mm-hmm. Because when yeah. we are in it, like going down that rabbit hole of negativity, we just think it's the truth. Like we don't realize that it's really just, <laughs> just sentences in our minds, like really, mm-hmm. truly. And so what I like to do is to have them do what we call a thought download. It's, it's basically just journaling, just like empty out the contents of your brain, just what's going on. Or in particular to this, if say I had, you know, really hard shift at work. Okay. Why was it hard? What happened that made it seem so difficult and have a, you know, maybe they don't have enough distance from it right in that moment, but then come back to it in a couple of days time and start looking like, what are the actual facts here? Meaning what would every single person agree on? So you can't say like, I had this difficult patient because you know what? I bet you that patient would not agree that they were being difficult, Mm -hmm. right? That patient is difficult is your thought about them. So really looking like, what are the facts? There's generally very few facts, unfortunately. (laughs) We're always like, these are all the facts. Oh wait, no, they're not. So there's very few facts typically. And then we see everything else and we notice, okay, these are all thoughts and feelings, mostly thoughts. And so, okay, so then we can just really pull one and go like, this one feels true. If I think this way, how do I feel? What emotion do I feel when I think this? 
when I feel this way in regards to this circumstance, what do I do? What do I not do? Like, what's it like in, you know, my experience in my head? We often think of like, you know, actions as being like physical things we're doing, but many of our actions are like the narrative in our head, spinning, spinning, spinning on how everything's awful and no one should have to go through this and, you know, whatever the sad story is that we tell ourselves and then seeing what the result is for us when we take those actions. And so what we often find is like this thought that seemed really true. And like sometimes even one that you're like, no, this seems like a good one. It doesn't actually give you a result that you want. And then sometimes, and I will just bring this up. Sometimes we want to be upset about something and we're okay with the result being negative. So like, for instance, there's been all this social justice and racial justice progress, hopefully in the United States and really all over the world. And so, you know, when we talk about like, oh, you can choose to think however you want, like you also can choose to think, like, I think that the police killing black men is horrific and to feel Mm -hmm. devastated about that. Right. But what you want to check is like, what kind of actions are you taking? Are you doing things maybe to educate yourself or supporting causes that help with that? Because the flip side of that is, and this happens a lot with political discussion is like, I just really hate so-and-so, which makes you feel hate, which you feel right. Right. That politician does not feel your emotions, right? And then your actions are sitting around and complaining a lot and, you know, reading a bunch of news and following Twitter and all these things that just make you really upset inside. Mm -hmm. That doesn't give you a good result. Right. So like I always say, like, what about child abuse? What about genocide? Right. I want to feel bad when Mm -hmm. I think about those things. If someone close to me dies, I want to feel intense grief. Mm -hmm right? We just know that we're choosing it. We always have the option to think and feel something different Mm -hmm. anytime that we want to. So circumstance of my clients with their patients, sometimes like a, you know, a close patient or someone that they, you know, really cared about died and they feel awful about it. Like that's okay. We want that. That's part of processing it. But if you are then beating yourself up over it repetitively, you you can't let it go. Now you're not sleeping, like thinking that a different doctor would have been better for them or things like that. Okay. Now we need to look at those thoughts because there's the clean pain of grieving. Mm -hmm. And of course you want to spend a little bit of time thinking sometimes about how things went. And is there an area where you can maybe improve or something you do differently next time, but then you lay that to rest Mm -hmm. and you don't dabble in the dirty pain of blame and victim mentality and beating yourself up and things like that, that never creates anything positive. Mm, I love that. It's like feeling and allowing yourself to feel. And, you know, as humans, we don't tremble out of the emotion like animals and other mammals, but it's like being in it and really feeling it. And then from that place is the choice victimhood or is it radical responsibility and empowerment? And I also think having the right tools, like I noticed the way that I related to my second mother's death was very different because I had spent years meditating and I had the tools to cope. And so I think often that the tools and and these mindset shifts that you're talking about, they prepare you for the challenge or the grieving or the hardship. And when I went through her death, I remember just consistent meditation, consistent yoga, consistent showing up for the compassion and the memories and just being in it, but like also holding myself with so much love during it versus emotional eating and turning to alcohol and turning yes. to sex and turning yes. to partying and yes. all the things that trying I- Trying to numb, like get, away, to get numb away from it. Yes. All the things that I used to. So I think part of the discussion, which I really want to empower the listeners to think about is like stepping into creating and accessing 
and having in your toolbox these resources so that <laughs> when shit hits the fan, you know, you're prepared and can manage the emotion and it doesn't feel so overwhelming because you have those tools. And you know that you can feel negative emotions, right? Because mm-hmm. you've practiced and you're like, okay, this is going to be hard, but I can do this versus, ew, gross, an emotion. Let me run the other way. Right. And I think that's what we're seeing during this pandemic. We're seeing like so many of my clients, it's like, we're seeing the shadows kind of come out. We're seeing the things that they haven't faced. And with that said, I'm so happy that they're using the tools to basically help them move through it. And I'm sure you're seeing that as well. It's like, this is the time if there's any time to do this work. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm always like, you know, as even the clients that I've worked with in the past, if I have a continuation program and, you know, I'm just like, listen, like if you've gotten back to your old ways, it's totally cool. That just means that we have more work to do. It Mm -hmm. takes something like a pandemic sometimes to show you where there's, you know, some frayed spots. So come on back and we will address those things so we can, you know, really make sure that that you're moving forward in that direction you want to go. But what I always find is whenever I have a client, because I've been doing this now for four years. And so sometimes I have a client who, you know, lost a bunch of weight and then has been gone for a year or two and then comes back and, you know, of course course they feel terrible and ashamed. They gain the weight back. And I'm like, so tell me what your thought work practice is like. Tell me what you've been doing with that. And they're like, oh, of course I stopped doing that. And I was like, I mean, I know that, but I just wanted to ask you just to confirm, didn't want to make any assumptions. But it's like, as soon as you stop checking Mm -hmm. in with yourself, as soon Mm -hmm. as you stop actually accessing who you are and same with meditation, because of course I teach that as well. And you know, all these, I call it active de-stressing, like doing things. You can't just lay on the couch and expect Netflix to do it for you. Like you have to actively do things to lower your cortisol levels to make it so that you can function at that level you want to function. It's, it's, you have to continue to support yourself. And I always look at it like this. It's not a shame. They've just learned now. Right. You, know, you thought you could do it in your head. Well, you can't. I mean, trust me, I'm, a, I'm always like the first one. If you could do all this work in your head, I would be like, listen, this is how you do it. Because I never really want to do it either, but I know it helps me. And I always feel so much better afterward. Mm-hmm. At, that's why I do it. Same with meditation. I generally don't usually feel like sitting, but at the end, I'm like, that was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I always feel grateful and thankful to myself that I, that I spent that time because I know I'm going to be less reactive. I know I'm going to be less triggered. I know that I'm going to be more compassionate towards even yeah. that comment on Instagram or yeah, Facebook or whatever right. is coming in. It's like, it's like, I yeah. know that that is supporting me and my future self. And I think it's important too. I I get that sometimes where people feel so much shame and guilt and frustration that, you know, that the weight came back on or that, you know, it wasn't sustainable to them. But I also think it's important to just recognize like once your awareness has expanded, it never is contracted back to this place that it used to be. No going back to the before. You still have a greater level of awareness and consciousness than you than you did when you started years ago. And so I think that lesson is more about the compassion for and holding the self-love around, okay, well, you know, yeah, I slipped up and that's okay. And I mean, even during COVID, I have a post that's coming out that I was like, I've gained a significant amount of weight during COVID and like, I'm not stressed about it. Like I want to lose the weight, but just holding love and compassion for myself. I'll be honest. I put on 10 pounds and I was actually really mindful about the whole thing. I was like, I'm going to, I actually took it as really good work for me to love and accept myself even when the scale was going up. Mm -hmm. But then there came a point where I was like, I do not, not even like how I felt like in my skin or my clothes, although I was starting to notice that some, because I'm pretty tall. So I could put on a few pounds before I really noticed it in terms of how my clothes, but I started, I was not feeling well inside. And I was like, 
okay, my body, she's <laughs> telling me it's enough now. That was fun. And yeah. it's back to what actually works. <laughs> Yeah, it's been stressful, unprecedented yeah. time. And like, and I was really mindful too about what I was eating and how I was taking care of myself. And I wasn't as mindful about some other things. So I see it and then I'm like, okay, my old self would have been down the rabbit hole and so upset and so stressed and so angry at myself. But I'm like, none of those emotions are going to empower me to move to a place of health and vitality yeah. and energy again. Like none of that Absolutely. is going to support me in losing this weight. And I don't feel guilty about wanting to lose the weight. I think that's the other piece is like, there's mm-hmm. this complacency modeling happening where like, I've seen a lot of memes around like, you know, if you gained weight during COVID, like, don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. But it's more like, but more along the lines of like, don't do anything about it. Right. I've heard that too. Like who could even possibly think about losing weight right now? And I'm yeah. like, well, I mean, what you could do is recognize that you're emotionally eating just get curious about that. Like the flip side of that was the people who are like, listen, if you aren't putting on five pounds of muscle and, you know, leaning out, like (laughs) then you you are a lazy piece of whatever, you know? And so I just think that like, as I actually wrote an article about this, I don't even know who published it. I can't remember now, but about like not giving yourself the pandemic pass, you know, like it's really easy to be like, you know what? I'm not going to care. Like when this is over, then I'll be Mm -hmm. happy to lose all this weight. Then I won't have all that stress. But you know, you won't. And the reason I know that is because in pregnancy, that's what so many of us do. And Mm -hmm. I did it where I'm like, oh, like once I have the baby, it'll be so much easier. I'll be breastfeeding. And you know, what really hammered this home for me was I've birthed four children, but my second one was the full-term stillborn. And so I had put on all of the weight and had no baby to breastfeed and I had to lose all of that weight by myself. Wow. Like I think I put on 45 pounds and I think I lost maybe 12 of that in delivery. Like that was it. I'm so sorry. I, I've never that. been, well, thank you. I've never been like, not really like upset with myself for having done that, but just, it was just like, I mean, it was obviously a really hard time for a lot of reasons, but that was just like such a constant reminder to me of what I had lost and everything. It's just like, you know, once you realize what you're doing, it's a kind and loving thing right? to treat your body with respect and to give her the food that makes her feel good. I do not care what you weigh. I legit do not care what size your clothes are. I do not care. But what I care about is if you're going to stay overweight, that you stop beating yourself up over it or think that something's wrong with you. If you want to get to a place with your mind where you love yourself totally unconditionally, you're totally happy with your body, everything is great. Like I am all in, like, let's do that. But even then what you'll find when you really, really love yourself is you don't want to overeat. Right. It's not loving to eat more food than your body needs Needs, or to eat, you know, drink more alcohol or, you know, all of those things. And so generally what I find is you get to that place of acceptance and love Mm -hmm. and then you lose the weight naturally. A hundred percent. Right. Because you no longer are trying to shame yourself or hate yourself into losing the weight. So when people are saying like, oh, you know, don't lose the weight right now. I'm like, you can do whatever you want. Like I literally Mm -hmm. don't care what you do. It's fine. But you might want to just have a look at what's created this Mm -hmm. and recognize that if you keep doing it, it's Mm going to be like another 10 or 15 and maybe then another 10 or 15. And then now we actually have more of an issue Mm -hmm. and it's so much harder to lose it then, right? It's so much easier in my mind. I'm like, okay, so you put on 10 or 15 pounds. It's totally cool. Let's have a look. What are the things, what are kind of those habits that you've gotten into? I know for myself, my husband started baking like bread from scratch, like this amazing, (laughs) like literally like bakery level, so good bread. 
you know, I was helping myself to plenty of that. And I thought, oh, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to teach my kids how to bake. And so we mm-hmm. were baking all these things and I was eating all these things that I typically, I mean, I might make them from time to time, but I certainly didn't eat the volume of the mm-hmm. results like I was doing, you know, things like that. I'm like, oh, okay, I see what's happened here. And of course my brain has gotten all these, you know, sugar hits and flour hits. And now it mm-hmm. thinks that's very important. Mm-hmm. It's prioritizing all of that. I always think of that as like, I just need to manage my over desire. need to mm-hmm. like do a little hedonic reset, like just mm-hmm. get, get back to normal here, but not doing it like you're disgusting. You have to lose the weight. Just more like my body is signaling to me yep. that she doesn't feel good. Right. And it would be nicer to lose it. Right. right? That's, that's yeah. what we want to be doing. Yeah. And that's where I'm feeling now. I'm like, yep. Okay. I'm aware of it. I recognize it. You know, this pandemic isn't over. Still can't go out and see my friends and play and go back to conferences and go back to concerts. And so like, how am I going to choose to relate to my body so that I feel healthy and energized and full of life? And I don't feel that way right now. And so that yeah. is an okay thing to confront and say, okay, time to make some changes. And so I think- and You don't have to whip yourself into shape. This yeah. isn't like, you know, lose it all in the next two to three weeks or something crazy. Like if it gradually came on and it can gradually come off too. And just recognizing like with love, of course you're using food to try to make mm-hmm. yourself feel better when all these things that you love to do that gave you so much pleasure, mm-hmm. so much connection, so much of the, you know, the great parts of your life you can't do. Right. Like it's, it's just not available to you. So of course your brain would be like going back to the old pathways of like, Hey, mm-hmm. I have an idea. Let's eat something. And you're like, right. you know what? Maybe I will. And then remembering that that's because of a memory or something that happened as a childhood that I got rewarded from yes, <laughs> with sugar, exactly. you know, right, cars exactly. and, and then saying like, oh, that's interesting. Like that's how interestingly right? rewarded. You get a shot at the doctor's office and they give you a sucker. Yeah. Right? Like, 100%. <laughs> Start them early. <laughs> yeah. Or like getting like potty trained with M&Ms and like all these mm-hmm. things. It's like, yep. like, this is how we learn to cope. And that doesn't mean that it's the right way to cope. And so So I think it's okay to say, okay, yes, if I truly am embodying self-love and self-worth and all the things and whatever weight you are, that's great. But if at any time you gain or you lose it and you don't feel aligned with your health, it's okay to look at that and say, yes, I'm not willing to be complacent anymore. I'm, I'm actually wanting to nourish my body as it deserves to be nourished because this is a vessel and a vehicle for to live my life and create impact. And so I love what you're doing. I could talk to you all day. It's like, (laughs) so fun. Yeah. I mean, we have so much in common. So So aligned. I know. And it's so incredible to hear that you're helping these doctors because like you said, as they step into their healthier selves, they'll be more present and available to really support individuals as, as they need support. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to make sure everyone knows where to find you and about your programs and your different offerings that you do throughout the year so that people can jump onto those if they're in alignment. Thanks. So my podcast is called Weight Loss for Busy Physicians. I have a lot of non-physician listeners, so you don't have to be a doctor to listen. Mm -hmm. You're more than welcome. And I've had so many people who've lost tons and tons of weight just from listening to what I teach on the podcast and applying it. So so definitely check that out on Instagram. I'm at Coach Katrina Uvell, MD. And also I have a bunch of free resources on my website, katrinauvellmd.com and all kinds of different ways for you to get started with you know, getting some weight off. I have one right now, six steps to jumpstarting your weight loss. And you know, what I recommend is you just pick like one thing 
and incorporate that. Like that's what we need right now. Like mm-hmm. we were like, I can't do the whole like crash diet thing. Like just pick one thing. Like maybe it's just drinking more water, yeah. you know, like yeah. less coffee and more water or less wine and more water, like consistently doing that and really hydrating your body so it can actually flush out all of the things that you're consuming and all of the waste, letting it actually function on an optimal level. And then when you're feeling like, okay, I can take the next step, like then, okay, what's the next step on here that I could choose that I can consistently do? Nothing drastic, but really, really impactful and helpful. So yeah, I love that. I love that. And I also love how you're referencing that we're like overcomplicating this, right? We're overcomplicating our health and we overcomplicate it because of the mind. And so it's like, let's get back to just doing the simple things. Let's not overcomplicate overcomplicate this process. And then when your mind is in alignment, then it becomes very, very easy. And we don't make this Mm -hmm. more challenging and this massive struggle. So thank you so much for being here. I'm so thankful for this conversation and I know and trust it's going to serve a lot of people. Well, thank you so much. I really loved being here. Uh, I love that conversation with Dr. Katrina. And so if you're listening to this episode, you're still here, chances are you too have experienced the ebbs and flows that come from trying new diets, new workout programs, and new lifestyle changes. And if I had to guess, I'd say that you probably have discovered that with each new diet or detox that you've tried, they have never truly provided you with that sustainable change that you hoped to achieve. Again, you're not alone. Because if you search Pinterest or Instagram right now for goal setting or motivation, you're going to come across hundreds of posts like how to set and reach your goals, how to set smart goals, how to achieve your top five goals this year. I too spent years of my life filling up pages of productivity journals using goal setting apps and rewriting my goals every January 1st. And while they've all been beneficial, none of these motivational tools have ever really taught me the number one reason why at times it felt so challenging to reach my goal. And they didn't warn me about the potential ways that I could sabotage my own best effort, whether that was achieving a healthy weight, choosing nourishing food, getting more sleep, or consistently meditating. And so that missing piece was my subconscious beliefs and reprogramming that mind-body connection. As Dr. Katrina shared, there is such a powerful connection between mental health and reaching a healthy weight. And it starts with the first allowing ourselves to feel. When you're able to start feeling, feeling into those emotions, letting go, forgiving, grieving, you indirectly stop sabotaging and break free of your internal beliefs and recognize the control that they have over your health. So take some time this week to sit in silence and be with yourself. Put your hand on your heart and ask yourself, what would you need to do? And what would you need to feel? What would you need to access within you to move forward? Notice any avoidance or suppression energy or emotions that come forward. Trust that these feelings are a gateway into your deepest truth. And by accessing these feelings and being with them and then releasing what isn't serving you, you can step into a happier, healthier way of relating to your body. Further this week, consider your relationship to your doctor. And if your doctor and your practitioner inspires you to truly be happier and healthier. And so when I went to the doctor for many years, I didn't feel that in alignment and I used their suggestion and what they recommended as this band-aid approach or as an excuse to not take care of myself. And so I'm not telling you to not take your doctor's advice, but I am recommending to think about that when you have a doctor that is in alignment with your healthiest self, 
you will feel more empowered to engage in healthier activities. And this is what I found to be true. So it's really important that you find a doctor and medical advice that is in alignment with you. Because what we surround ourselves with, we become. And that doesn't mean that you can't find the inspiration outside of the medical office. But I encourage you to, again, think about how your visits are impacting your habits and your lifestyle choices. And so those are the two challenges this week. Tap into your feelings and think about your relationship to your practitioners. I trust that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It was a conversation I believe we can all benefit from. Thank you for being here and showing up for your health. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I encourage you to go listen to my episode with Max Lugavir, one of my best friends, as we approach a similar topic from a different angle of empowering ourselves to step in to our health through food. Drop me a message on Instagram. If you've been listening to these podcasts, let me know what's resonating. Let me know what you want to hear more of. I'm here to support you in becoming happier and healthier. And it means the world to me when I hear from you and I hear what's working and how I can support you further. You can find me on the gram at Sarah and Stewart. I want to celebrate you. So make sure to tag me in any posts. And until next time, I'm sending you so much love, a massive virtual hug, and I'm trusting that you will have an incredible, beautiful, epic week ahead. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.